for an hour or two, I'm going to tell you about my work. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, at, at some point, um, there's a trajectory in comics that's true for every one of the bits that you'll be seeing today, which is comics are very specifically the best of children of art and comics. Okay? Um, they were born to help sell newspapers in America. They did a great job of attracting immigrants and semi-literates to the papers at a time where color was at a premium you'd get color very cheap in every Sunday's paper with great vaudeville stints and uh, tricks going on. Um, it was only in little kind of uh, marginal efforts like Crazy Cat, which was never as popular as, say, the Cats and Jammer kids, that uh, the artist's full sensibility could come through. But it was always allowed to come through because it was an individual making this work of commerce to help sell newspapers. In some cases, that flourished. More and more as the century progressed, uh, one found the people who were able to use those loopholes, Harvey Kurtzman, who I pointed out being one of them, until finally you had uh, um, the near death of comics as it was seen uh, that they might cause juvenile delinquency, uh, Senate hearings that had comics pretty much burned in public, and the result, the near death of comic books as a medium, and their rebirth once the juvenile delinquents grew up to become underground cartoonists like Justin Green and myself. At that, point, at that point, the commerce was vestigial. There's no money in underground comics, I swear. Uh, but there was a lot of art going on there for the first time, allowed to happen. And I think that bit by bit, encouraged by Justin Green's example, autobiography became an important trope for underground comics, certainly for me. I mean, Mao's was made possible. This was a three-page version of Mao's. I did in an underground comic book called Funny Aminals that had a cover by Robert Crumb, the underground cartoonist of that moment and still. Uh, his funny animal story was about two little fox boys who lure a beautiful large-legged chicken woman up to their apartment and then proceed to eat her, but not in the sexual sense. Um, my strip came from somewhere else. It was like the first time I began to look back at my own family's dark past and did a three-page comic strip about cats and mice ret uh, retelling an anecdote I'd heard when I was a child from my father. Um, that led to a much longer thing that many of you probably heard of since uh, it's why I'm here right now, uh, Mao's, where my only goal was to make a 300-page comic book, a comic book that needed a bookmark. I've now been told that comics with bookmarks are called graphic novels. But the other part of what I've been doing in the same period that I did that three-page mouse were comics that very soberly were looking at what had happened in modernism and how those lessons could be applied to comics. So this page, it's only a single page, but it took me months to do and a couple of years thinking about. And I think it rewrote some of the rules of how comics are made. Um, my latest work, which uh, some in a reconfigured way are up here to give you uh, bits of a memoir slash uh, essay that I did in comics form for a reissue of my early work that had been published in a book called Breakdowns. I got lost in my syntax, is an introduction almost as long as the book itself called uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Blankety Blank, putting together various memories and essay scraps so that they collide and butt up against each other. Uh, the one here, Pop Art, uh, allows one to see some of the crucible that Mao's grew out of, uh, including some sketches that helped get it made. Uh, 